0: hello and welcome to the commander theory podcast i'm nick beatman and i'm here with my friend zach mack hello everybody so uh we've gotten a lot of information about throne of eldraine the complete contents of the Throne of Eldraine Brawl precons and some exciting information about the upcoming lineup of sets. It's been an eventful week.
1: Yeah, there's crazy amount of information kind of
0: sprung on us. Yeah, uh, but before we jump into our discussion of all this news, I want to briefly talk to you about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and access sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, You can help us out by writing a review on apple podcasts or stitcher and in fact we've got a review that we want to share with you today this comes to us from not username simply the best edh podcast out there there are many edh podcasts now but almost all of them cover either the competitive edh format which is a very different landscape than normal commander or more commonly, rather casual podcasts. Casual EDH is very fun. There's nothing wrong with it. But as time goes on, Commander gets more and more refined. Commander Theory is the podcast that covers EDH players who want to build optimized decks, as well as players who want to understand more about the format that they spend so much time in. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, not username. We really appreciate the review. And with that out of the way, we are going to move on to our discussion of all the news from this past week. Here is our agenda for this episode. We're going to be talking about the next year's worth of Standard legal sets. We're going to be talking about the new mechanics spoiled from Throne of Eldraine, how to build around the legendary creatures revealed so far, where the non-legendary cards might fit into Commander, and what we think of the Brawl precons after testing them on Arena. So uh, let's start off with these new sets. At the beginning of 2020, we're going to be returning to Theros in a set called Theros Beyond Death. The set symbol is a mask of one of the returned, which is the the zombie denizens of the underworld there. And Wizards has said on Twitter that this time we're going to the underworld. Does this announcement surprise you? I knew that the next time we were going back to Theros, it was going to be more death death
1: focused just because honestly the masterpiece for elspeth from the mythic edition she's like crawling out of the underworld Mm -hmm.
0: yeah also having uh gideon die and then be seen in the underworld on theros reunited with his his dead friends There's a lot of threads that are leading us to Theros, and I I was expecting us to visit there within the next year, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what we're doing. What do you think we can expect from a new set on Theros?
1: I mean, I'm really hoping for more devotion. I feel like there are some devotion cards that people really liked, and they were the gods. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of devotion cards were very much not geared towards commander play. Like, here's a
0: big guy... With uh, the exception of Grey Merchant of Which is
1: true, but yeah, a majority of devotion cards were loved by people and then not played Mm -hmm. pretty heavily outside of the initial gods. so I'm just hoping for not Grey Merchant levels, but cards that are like... I don't feel embarrassed running.
0: No, I, I really like Devotion, too. It's um, one of those mechanics that encourages monocolor decks. It definitely yeah. is better if you're concentrating on a single color rather than playing a multicolor deck. So that's great. I, anything that makes monocolor decks better in Commander mm-hmm. is is good in my book. I'm also looking forward to more Enchantment Matters cards, They definitely got the note after the original Theros block that we really liked Constellation and we wish it had come sooner, so I can't imagine that they're going to return to Theros and not blast us with Enchantment Matters cards. Yeah. Yeah, I am really looking forward to some good Enchantment creatures. I currently have a Kestia deck, and the creatures that I have to run in that deck are just abominably bad. In order to really farm Kestia's trigger, I'm running basically vanilla creatures or creatures with bestow that i will never cast them for the bestow cost it's uh it's not great so i'm looking forward to uh, some opportunities to tune that up and hopefully some some more commanders that reward playing with enchantments because there's so many artifact commanders out there but the number of enchantment commanders is still relatively few in comparison yeah what set are we going to after theros
1: yeah so this is a new set it's called uh ikoria it's coming in spring of 2020 it's brand new and the tagline is ikoria layer of behemoths mark rosewater said uh, it's monster world you get to play with and make your own monsters including one of the craziest mechanics we've made in quite a while i don't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> when i heard like layer of behemoths i was kind of hoping for more of like a rise of the Eldrazi type environment like limited environment like battle
0: cruisery. I feel like we saw a little bit of that in Theros with the, like, Bestow and Heroic just making one giant monster. Yeah. But it's definitely something that's has not been in vogue for, for years now.
1: There's a, a few more sets that were announced.
0: Yeah. I, I'm actually surprisingly pumped for the next core set. This next core set, 2021, is coming out next summer, naturally. And they gave us very little information about it, except that we expect Teferi to make an appearance. So that that makes it sound like Teferi is going to be sort of the, the main planeswalker of the set in the same way that Chandra was the main planeswalker of Corset Set 2020 and Bolas was the main planeswalker of Corset Set 2019.
1: I mean, really what I'm hoping for out of this is just Teferi's storyline. Mm-hmm. Like, please. Yeah. Please, like, you've made some Teferi planeswalkers
0: cool, mm-hmm. but like, you didn't really utilize him. Yeah, I I am really hoping that this is going to be a corset with a bit more of a story to it, as opposed Mm -hmm. to there there wasn't really much of one to 2020. There was some story going on with 2019, which was great. I'm hoping that this gives us the opportunity to explore to ferry returning Zalfir from its phased out state because we're we're probably not going to go back to Dominaria for a while. And that's they spent so much time building up that storyline that yeah. i really want to see it executed
1: they really like made sure everyone knew when they reintroduced Teferi. this is where he came from this is why he's ostracized mm-hmm. like all this stuff. this is his
0: quest yeah it was unfortunate that the uh reintroduction of the corset came when it did because they were almost certainly going to explore that in the planned second set of the dominaria block moving on to the the last bit of information we got about upcoming sets In fall 2020, we are going to have Zendikar Rising. What they've told us about this so far is that with the threat of the Eldrazi gone from the plane, Zendikar Rising is all about adventure. Does this announcement surprise you at all? I guess how soon it is. I'm not super hyped from this. This feels pretty soon to me for a return. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel that. With Theros, they did a great job of not overstaying their welcome because they... Gave us so little of the thing we actually wanted out of Theros that a return is actually like, I liked that flavor and I'm excited to get more of it. But Battle for Zendikar was a a big disappointment and they didn't (laughs) really pump much of the power into the Adventure World mechanics in no. Battle for Zendikar and Oath of the Gatewatch. No, really not. Like, there were very few good landfall cards this that second outing. They were
1: so scared of
0: landfall. Yeah. Like,
1: I don't know. Un- like, why? What were they afraid of?
0: It was uh, really unfortunate that the only card... That saw a lot of construction play was the Gideon, and that's just because he came at a great rate. Yeah, yeah, you're getting a lot for four mana. Yeah, and the land saw a fair bit of play too in standard because they enabled the the five four and five color tags. <laughs> Remember those? Oh yeah. What I'm hoping is let me let me think about rotation here for a second because Zendikar is not going to be in the same environment as. Ravnica block, correct? No, yeah, they'll they'll not touch, yeah. So provided that we don't see any dual lands with basic land types, we know that they're not in Eldraine. We know there's no dual lands at all in Eldraine. As long as there are no dual lands with basic land types in Ikoria or Theros or Core 2021, we... Have a chance that we'll get some fetchlands in Zendikar.
1: Yeah, there is a chance. Yeah,
0: because they have said that like ever since the whole Dark Jeskai and like Wet Mardu or whatever yeah. they were calling it, <laughs> ever since that fiasco of a Standard season, they said they they don't want fetches and duels in the same Standard environment, but. Yeah. There may not be duels by the time the Zendigar Rising rotates in, and it would be a great place to reprint fetches because God, Modern Masters 2017 was not enough to really meet demand for the enemy fetches.
1: I mean, it was a limited print run. Yeah. Putting something behind like a $10 pack is just never, you're never going to get the demand.
0: Yeah, but if they uh, were to print it in the Zendigar Rising, then like we could see remember when fetch lands, one, yeah. yeah remember when fetch lands were ten dollars right when zendikar yep. came out yes this could be an awesome opportunity to to pick those up that could be really great but we'll we'll see there's a lot of things that have to break in our favor for that to happen yeah well let's move on to the the next thing which is going to be the throne of eldraine mechanics we've seen three mechanics so far no word yet on if this is all of them but given that they said that they were shooting for three and a half mechanics per standard of set, this could be... Yeah, this could be what we're working with. Okay, so we've got Adamant, and I'll, I'll read you a card with it. So Slaying Fire is two and a red for an instant. It deals three damage to any target. And Adamant, if at least three red mana was spent to cast this spell, it deals four damage instead. What do you think about this mechanic, the context of Commander?
1: There's no reason that this couldn't be used to kind of beef up monocolored decks, but I think that the fact that this is a standard legal set using this mechanic means we're going to get a lot of, like, good rates for standard cards. I think we're going to see, like this like instead of three deal four
0: (laughs) it definitely depends on the rates but i do love seeing wizard design mechanics to help monocolor decks compete Mm -hmm. against like the often strictly better multicolor decks
1: yeah and so we've seen i think an uncommon and a common at this point and neither of those really
0: wowed me yeah but it's going to be interesting i wonder uh just having this adamant mechanic and then assuming that devotion returns in theros like standard is really going to be pushing monocolored. Yes. The next mechanic we're going to be talking about is called Adventure. Basically what happens is when you have the card in your, your hand, you can choose to either cast as a creature, in which case it behaves like a creature, or you can cast the Adventure. And if you cast the Adventure, then it's exiled, and then you can cast the creature side from exile.
1: Yeah, like whenever you want, whenever mm-hmm. you can.
0: So, one example of this would be Order of Midnight. It's one in a black for a 2-2 human knight with flying, and it can't block. Then it also has this alternate alter fate, one in a black for a sorcery adventure. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So, you can cast the spell, raise dead a creature, and then cast Order of Midnight and get a, a 2-2 flyer.
1: Nothing about this mechanic is necessarily not commander-friendly. You know, like... There could be rates
0: on these cards that are good enough to play in Commander. The way I kind of think about this, it's almost like an ETB creature, but unfortunately doesn't work well with blink or reanimation effects. But it's a way to staple utility on cards in order to sort of like get them across the threshold of playability. There's a card that we're going to be talking about later in this episode that is a shatter effect for one mana on one side, and then it's just a knight on the other. And so if you have a knight tribal deck that utility of having a shatter stapled to it is going to push this card into playability for you. All right, the last mechanic we're going to be talking about today is food. Introduced in this set are food tokens, and sort of like treasure tokens now work, they are a token type that has its own embedded rules text. All food tokens are artifacts and they have two tap sacrifice this token you gain three life so an example of a card that has this effect is bake into a pie it's two black black for an instant destroy target creature create a food token would you say this is a commander friendly mechanic
1: it's not unfriendly like the the big problem with food is that the token sucks but like if you can just get enough tokens at a good enough rate lots of decks love artifact tokens so i would say that like If you're just trying to make food to uh, gain life, like, food to gain life is bad, Mm -hmm. but if you're making food to, like, turn them into 3-3 Death Touch Lifelink worms with, like, Brutoclad or something, that's probably a little better, because it's looking like so far we're going to get food at, like, a pretty decent rate. I'm hoping that cards just have food stapled onto them, and you can just make a bunch of food
0: (laughs) that's a good point because food itself is pretty weak they can give it to us at a good rate Mm -hmm. unlike say treasure or like eldrazi's scions or or
1: even honestly just investigating and getting a clue like the fact that every clue is a card in essence like just waiting to be there
0: they had to be a little
1: bit more conservative with how you get them but like food is complete in utter (laughs) crap.
0: Yeah. So they can spew it at us and then you can just throw it into your Urza deck and like, wow, I'm getting like way more food than the amount of mana I put in. And then Urza's going to convert that into way more mana that I put in. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to move on to the commanders spoiled so far, and we're going to give you some ideas for how to build around them. So we're going to start off with Alila, Artful Provocateur. She is one white, blue, black for a two, three legendary fairy warlock more on that in a second yeah (laughs) she has flying death touch and lifelink other creatures you control with flying get plus one plus oh and whenever you cast an artifact or enchantment spell create a one one blue fairy creature token with flying what do you think about this commander
1: she is deceptive because she's not a very good fairy commander I think that we're going to see like a lot of like Spellstutter Sprites and the Scion of Unas and stuff like that in these lists that d- don't really want to be there mm-hmm. um, when really just like all you got to do is just cast a mana rock and then yeah. next turn you can cast two mana rocks and then next turn you can cast some things that drew you cards and it's like you don't actually need to care about the tribal at all. Like just the fact that they're little 2-1 flyers every time you do something that you probably want to do anyway mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful.
0: Yeah, I I tried a couple different builds for this before I settled on one I was happier with. One build that I tried ran a whole bunch of, like, Artifact and Enchantment Anthems. And then those Anthems were essentially, like, lords. Because (laughs) they pumped the team, but they also came with this 2-1 Flying Fairy in addition to it. But... One of the issues I've had with that build was that I kind of just would like dump my entire hand on the board and yeah, I'd have a bunch of enormous fairies, Mm -hmm. but I was also one board wipe away from having nothing. So the build I ended up settling on that I was much happier with was I ran a whole bunch of cheap artifacts that when they entered the battlefield or when you cracked them, you drew a card. So that way I would get my... Fairy token, get that trigger. And then also, like, my hand would stay a constant size. So I could commit a bunch of cards to the board and have, like, a, a respectable board presence. Mm-hmm. But then also, I would have seven cards in hand and I could rebuild pretty easily if my board were to get wiped.
1: Yeah. Always having a handful of stuff just means that, like, I think this will be
0: pretty strong. I'll just throw out a couple pieces of tech and yeah. then we'll move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because you're going to have a field full of these flyers, then Combat damage triggers, attack triggers are pretty good. Yeah, Coastal Piracy, Biden of Thassa, Refill Your Hand, Kindred Discovery, do Mm -hmm. the same. Larceny is great, just empty an opponent's hand. You might also want to run a couple sack outlets, Attrition, Mind Slash, Skull Clamp, just sort of control the board and have an additional mechanism for drawing cards. We're going to be posting a list, so you can check it out. Offer feedback to us, because this is our rough draft, but it might also give you some ideas for a direction to take your Alila list.
1: So, the next commander is, I guess, Chulain Teller of Tales, but uh, we're not really going to talk too much about this guy because we did a whole episode on him.
0: Yes. Uh, Please check that out. That'll, mm-hmm. It's a very in depth look at the deck and how to build around this guy.
1: If you played with him on Arena, you'd see he's very strong. Yes. So, yeah, we're not going to talk about him too much. But there's another two more, in fact. One of them is Corvold, Fayhurst King. Uh, so this is a 4-4 Flying Dragon Noble for two black, red, green. Uh, he has whenever he enters the battlefield or attacks, sack another permanent. And then whenever you sacrifice a permanent, put a plus one, plus one counter on Corvold and draw a card i like a lot of things about this guy so uh, i mean my initial thought when i first saw him was he reminds me a lot of what vivictus asmati kind of does where vivictus is like comes down and then when he attacks you like i sack this and you sack these things and what you sack was always good for you and what your opponent sacked was always bad for them Mm -hmm. you chaos warped into things it was usually bad for your opponents usually people at the table weren't happy this kind of reminded me of a lot of that gameplay like you're going to be making things that make other things you're going to be making things that want to die um, but on top of that, like, your Sakura Dry Elder draws you a card. Like, your Fetchlands all draw you a card. Like, that's kind of, like, the obvious line to kind of, like, initially start with. So it turns all your, like, early game cards into late game gas, which is a great place to be. It's it's kind of like if your Evictus deck was pissing people off, you might want to switch <laughs> to this guy. He'll build up, you'll have a lot of cards, you'll have a big dragon, and kind of do a bunch of stuff. And there's And there's a few different ways to... Build them honestly rather than just like I'm going to sack this reassembling skeleton every turn.
0: Yeah, you can lean more into the lands if you mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. Um, because in three color deck, you can run nine fetch lands plus prismatic vista, you can run crucible worlds, or Ram- ramanap excavator, or life from the loam, just have ways to, to get that value every single turn. Mm-hmm. You're on color for nurturing peatland, cryptic caves. So that lands package that's one thing you can lean into. There's also token types that sacrifice themselves that work really well with this commander so if you invest in treasure it's pretty good
1: yeah yeah just like making a mana and drawing a card for virtually free is strong
0: yeah very very powerful same with
1: eldrazi spawn and scions Mm -hmm. oh boy
0: yeah there's also a couple cards that like you cannot play them unless your deck runs a critical mass of sack outlets and so of course they're naturally good here ugin's nexus is one of them it's an artifact that if it would be put into Graveyard from the battlefield, you take an extra turn after this one. That's a problem in search of a solution.
1: Yeah, but all of a sudden, all you got to do is cast or attack with your commander. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, I drew a card and I take an extra turn.
0: Yeah, other cards like that. Mind Slicer is incredibly powerful if you can consistently find a way to kill it, like having one in the command zone. Mm-hmm protean hulk world shaper is another good one that returns all the lands from your graveyard to the battlefield
1: tap things that care about things dying so like titania is great in this list because every time you sack a land to draw a card or you sack a land because you attacked or whatever you get a five three also and mm-hmm. she also gets your lands back so there's like a lot of angles and like ways to play with this guy
0: Here's a question, though. Do you think he's significantly different from, like, Shattergang Brothers or, like, Sekuar Death Keeper, those very sacrifice-oriented Jund oh. decks?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think he's going to assert them very quickly, because I think one of the things with Sekuar is that Sekuar is, like, a reward for building an engine. Mm-hmm. This guy is the engine. You are going to be running a lot of the same things that you might run in a shatter gang if you were to build it like less lansy you know what i mean but shatter gang is four to play and three to activate something and you had to have the proper type of permanent to answer your question no i don't think he's that different but i think he's going to be more popular
0: because like the front end because is, he's better yes exactly okay all right. <laughs> exactly all right the next guy we're going to be talking about is sir gwyn hero of ashvale It is three red, white, black for a legendary human knight. He's a five, five with menace and vigilance. Whenever an equipped creature you control attacks, you draw a card and lose one life. Equipment you control have equip knight zero. So I think this is worth comparing to Kestia the cultivator. Both of them are things that draw you cards when you attack with a certain subtype of creature. The main differences are that Kestia is significantly cheaper Kestia isn't a better color identity (laughs) and the things that trigger Kestia generally only require the commitment of a single card whereas Sir Gwyn generally needs you to commit both a creature card and an equipment card to assemble a card generating unit Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: so like Kestia you'll have your single enchantment creature you commit it to the board it attacks it draws you a card every turn thereafter whereas Sir Gwyn. I need to cast my knight, and I need to cast my bone splitter, or whatever. Those two cards together can draw me a card every turn. So it takes you longer to recoup the cards you invest on the board, both because Sir Gwyn comes down later, and because it just requires more to to generate cards. So there's some exceptions to that rule. Living weapon equipment come with a creature attached, as do the two equipment from M20 that have that, that similar ability. Yep bloodforge Battleaxe copies itself so you don't need to commit as many real equipment to the board to get all your guys suited up but still it's it's tricky i've done a little bit of gold fishing I've, i built a list and did some gold fishing with it and the turn i dropping him down i'm lucky to draw more than two cards
1: first something is interesting that we're gonna see with eldraine so the sir the s-y-r they made gender-neutral Sir basically for the knights because mm-hmm. uh, Sir Gwyn is a lady. But you're right. like This is going to be a much more casually-focused list just because like it's the Six-Mana Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like Not only is it Six-Mana Syndrome, like you had to invest in the board previously in multiple card types that you may or may not have drawn up to that point simultaneously.
0: Yeah, it's going to be rough. This is going to be hit with a variance. A lot. If you yeah. draw like all the creatures but none of the equipment, or vice versa, like, your deck's just not going to work.
1: Yeah, and like if you don't have budget constraints and you can just play all the tutors and whatever, like okay, yeah, you're you're going to get your things consistently, but that's not anywhere near as strong as what you could be doing. So I, I think what this list is going to be is like people who want to play knights and people who want to play equipment, and if there's any overlap there. So not nearly as popular as I think a lot of other Mardu commanders, the ones that exist right now, are going to be. Yeah. I just don't think this is going to be the
0: kind of deck where people drawing like four cards in a turn. I know that it says knights right on the card, but I don't think this has to be a knight tribal deck the way I built it is a lot more focused on just kind of good creatures, especially good creatures with double strike, and then cheap equipment that have strong like combat damage triggers, so like the swords, mask of memory, even things like rogues gloves or skeleton key. And and a lot of these double strikers are knights, but not all of them, just because I think that it's best if your deck can function without your six mana commander yep. on the board and Giving a fencing ace like a mask of memory is like a pretty solid game plan that doesn't require you to resolve this six mana commander and have him live long enough to, to get you your value.
1: Yeah. And then one last note cheap equip isn't actually that bonkers. Like, if you have a bunch of equipment, it'll save you a bunch of mana on certain creatures. Like, free equip to knights will save you some mana on things. But, like, you're not really going to be like wombo comboing with that very often. Like, you'll, okay, cool, my Colossus Hammer goes on something for free. Or, like, Black Blade Reforged, I didn't have to spend seven to put it on this random night. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of, there's not really a lot of just, like, crazy, expensive, prohibitive equip costs that, on things that are playable, that you would want to play in this list.
0: Yeah, and also, like, I would not want to run an equipment that had a... a prohibitive equip cost but also an expensive like casting cost like i don't want to run argentum armor in this deck i don't want to spend six mana to get it on the field even if the equip cost is zero
1: yeah it's just not super efficient
0: we're gonna move on to the other commanders right so sir conrad the grim is three black black for a five four legendary human knight he has whenever another creature dies or a creature card is put into a graveyard from anywhere other than the battlefield. Or a creature leaves your graveyard, Sir Conrad the Grim deals one damage to each opponent. Then he has one in a black, each player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. So in terms of building around this guy, there's not that many great ways to mill your opponents in mono black, it's basically just shared trauma, dread summons, and mesmeric orb. Heartstone is good in this deck because reducing the cost by one, making it so that you'll only have to pay one black to make each player mill one, like that's way more efficient you can also try farming his ability with powerful discard effects you're on color for mind slicer capital punishment cabal conditioning and meogen of knight's reach removal both like spot removal and mass removal that doesn't hit sir conrad are both pretty good at killing creatures and getting that trigger that way another thing you can do is like if you have say like blood gas or reassembling skeletons You can get a trigger when they die and then also get a trigger when they leave the graveyard and and come back. So that's a decent way to to farm it. There's a lot of ways to trigger the ability in this color, but I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. Can I disagree with you? Go for it. Because
1: if you mill your entire graveyard and then you just exile your graveyard,
0: you probably hit everyone for like 30. The only way I can like think of to do that, that that it's like a single card morality shift morality shift it's five black black swap your graveyard and your library that in combination with sir conrad if you have 40 creatures in your library at the time you do this then that's 40 damage to each opponent so that'll do it and of mm-hmm. course you're in mono black so you have your tutors to to get the morality shift and you can run some some mana acceleration yeah, to try to get, get it shift. out sooner so that's A route to victory.
1: My guess on this guy is he's gonna like play kitchen tables pretty hard because like it is gonna add up especially if you can get the mesmeric orb. especially if you can start like actually milling people pretty consistently. My guess is that this is gonna start feeling the same way that Slimefoot felt where you're gonna look over and be like oh what's my life I'm at like 17 already like especially as time goes on and we get even more mill cards too so I I don't think he's as Bad as he looks at first glance, I think the the worst part about him is he costs five.
0: Mm. All right, Uh, do you want to talk about the next mono black commander? So Rankle is a
1: three three flying haste fairy rogue for two and two black. Rankle has whenever Rankle deals combat damage to a player, choose any number of these. You can either make each player discard a card, make each player lose a life, and draw a card or each player sacks a creature, or any combination of those things.
0: I, I like this a lot. It's a discard outlet for the, the good madness cards in the color identity. There is obviously a lot of sack fodder, so like the sacrifice a creature is never going to really punish you that hard. And then forcing your opponent's discard, you can trigger things like Waste Knot. Because you're sacrificing a creature, you can also run like Grave Pact or Dictate of Erebos and just really clear the board. Yeah, <laughs> this, this guy does a lot.
1: Mono black in particular, we've talked about, has lots of lots of floaters sitting around, and like creatures that enter the battlefield and did something, or creatures that come back because you can sack them because you're in mono black, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of sack outlets. So you can kind of force people to play the game more in your style. Like I, I like that this guy kind of builds up value over the course of multiple combats.
0: Do you want to mention the two best guys to sack? Sacrificing Mind Slicer is pretty darn good. Yeah. And then a Corpse Augur is going to draw you a bunch of cards, assuming you have other creatures in your graveyard. Mm-hmm. So both of those are very strong things to sacrifice.
1: Yeah. Other than that, I don't think there's too much like tech. Like this guy, I think he normally I would complain about a card like this, but he has flying and haste, and he and like has four. Mm-hmm. But normally, like an on-hit commander, I'm like not super. Into yeah. <laughs> if he didn't have
0: haste, it'd be much worse. But yeah. they they. Saw they, that. They went hard. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. This card, um, it's very, very similar to Yawgmoth. It's basically like Yawgmoth, but you can't combo off.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's true, actually. I haven't thought about it like that.
0: Yeah, because it's a, a discard outlet. It's a sacrifice outlet. It's in mono black. And a lot of the cards that work well in this deck are also pretty good in Yawgmoth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I think that's it for this batch of Legendary Creatures right now. Yeah, Yeah.
0: most of the ones we talked about today are just the Brawl Precon Commanders. And for the purposes of this set review, we're going to be lumping in all the the cards from the Brawl Precons with the rest of the set. They have the same set symbol. They're set on the same plane.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look it up again. There's cards with a set number higher than a certain value don't Mm -hmm. appear in the regular booster booster packs. packs. Yeah, Yeah. but they will appear in the Collector Boosters. Hmm. Just, uh if anyone was interested. So, like, let's say you want a really fancy... A uh, Yeah, or the Signet, the new Signet. Arcane Signet. The Arcane Signet. Those are going to appear in the collector's boosters, mm. not necessarily the draft booster.
0: So we're going to briefly touch on the Planeswalkers that have been spoiled so far. Garruk, Cursed Huntsman. Four, black, green, for a five loyalty Planeswalker Garruk. Zero, create two, 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 black and green wolf creature tokens with when this creature dies Put a loyalty counter on each Garak you control. Then minus three, destroy target creature, draw a card. And minus six, you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus three, plus three, and have trample. So the minus three, the destroy target creature, draw a card, that's never going to be bad, but spending six mana for that effect is not great.
1: Yeah, not the best.
0: Um, His zero ability, it's good that he generates sack fodder for black green sacrifice decks like mazarek or savra yeah the fact that they're both black and green is especially good for savra but i'm still not sure that garak is worth the price of entry in those lists
1: garak's gonna do really really well in just super friends lists in these colors so like atraxa you just all of a sudden the board is just gummed up Mm -hmm. and you don't really need to like worry about ticking him up or killing the wolves because he's just like He's just going to do that. And then you can just start killing creatures. And it's that's where I just imagined him kind of shining
0: the most. All right. The next Planeswalker is very, very good. So this is Oko, Thief of Crowns. It is one green blue for a four loyalty Planeswalker, Oko, plus two create a food token, plus one target artifact or creature, loses all abilities and becomes a green elk creature with base power and toughness, three, three. Then minus 5, exchange control of target artifact or creature you control, and target creature an opponent controls with power 3 or less. The ability to shut down someone's commander is huge, and the fact that he can repeatedly do it as a plus seems awesome. This just looks to me like a very powerful planeswalker. It's very difficult for planeswalkers to break into commander, but this ability is so uniquely good in commander that I think that Oko can easily be a new format staple
1: god i just love the planeswalkers with non-traditional ults like this because Mm -hmm. like the table doesn't fear them no one's looking at you like but you're gonna win if that happens so oko can just sit there kind of generate value and kind of be this bargaining piece like hey i'll turn their commander off don't kill my sexy man (laughs) he's doing good work for the table and people
0: will be like oh you're right you're right that's fine and at three mana that's great yeah i think this is a very good card moving on to the rest of the main deck cards we're going to be going in Wuberg order we'll start with the silver Wing squadron it is five and a white for a human knight it's a star star its power and toughness are each equal to the number of creatures you control it has flying and vigilance and when it attacks create a number of two two white knight creature tokens with vigilance equal to the number of opponents you have there's a cycle of these cards in the brawl decks this is i think in
1: isn't in the knight one or something but there's, uh, like, the troll that makes a food for each opponent, and then there's there's one that makes a rat for each opponent. There There's, like, a, a bunch of these guys. And that's wonderful. This card is wonderful. It gives you a whole board full of
0: things. It's a little unfortunate that there's no white commanders that grant haste. Yep. Because uh, it's kind of tough to, like, just cast a six-mana creature and then wait a round of turns to attack with it to get your value. Mm-hmm. But... Like knight tokens, there's two decks that really, really want those and are willing to compromise a little bit in order to get something that generates the the thing they need. Yeah, if I still had
1: Audric 2.0, I might have played this guy Mm -hmm. because it's multiple bodies and two keywords at bare minimum. And if you ever awakened a land, this is sick tech for all your object 2.0 players, the land keeps the haste that it gets. Mm, nice. So that was how I got around haste in MonoWay. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, it's just slow, powerful, but slow. Yeah, I Agreed. This next card is also six mana. This is a legendary artifact. It costs four white white called the Circle of Loyalty. This spell costs one less to cast for each knight you control. Creatures you control get plus one plus one. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, create a two two white knight creature token with vigilance and then three white tap. Create a two two white knight creature token with
0: vigilance. So I'm not a huge fan of cards that require you to jump through multiple hoops. Um, This wants you to be playing a lot of knights in order to reduce its cost, and then it also wants you to be playing a lot of legends so that you can get a lot of these white knight creature tokens. So I don't know if there are a lot of decks that fulfill both of those requirements, like Cathis, for example or sisse they run a lot of legendary spells but they also probably don't care about having knights as a reward and they also probably don't run a lot of knights that'll reduce this card's cost i was thinking that sir Gwyn might be interested in this card it does mm-hmm. produce a lot of knights and then there's in mardu colors there's like 10-ish playable Knight Legends, and then there'll probably be more spoiled as as the season continues. So that might be an option for a commander that would be interested in this card, but generally this is not going to see a lot of play. I know this is a different color, but like Primeval Bounty is a 6-mana enchantment that whenever you cast a creature make a 3-3 three, three. whenever you cast a, a non-creature you put three plus one plus one counters on something and whenever a land enters the battlefield you gain three life that card is a lot better than this <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and th- that card does a lot and i i honestly have cut primeval bounty from a lot of lists yeah too.
0: It's better and still doesn't see play, so let that tell you what you need to know about the Circle of Loyalty.
1: I know some people really like that card, I just can't get down with it. Moving on, this is another artifact with color in its mana cost. This is Midnight Clock. It is two and a blue for an artifact. It has tap add blue. It also has two blue. Put an hour counter on Midnight Clock. At the beginning of each upkeep, put an hour counter on Midnight Clock. When the twelfth hour counter is put on Midnight Clock, shuffle your hand and graveyard into your library. Then draw seven cards and exile Midnight Clock.
0: I think it's uh, very bad. Mostly, what it's going to be is just a mana rock, and I don't mm-hmm. like paying three mana for oh, I would never, yeah, mana rock that just produces one mana. Especially like given that it produces the color it costs, so it can't fix your mana really. Like the thing is, like you can work incredibly hard to get this to be a time twister, but in commander, you can also just play time twister yeah. <laughs> or you can play time spiral or you can play time reversal or echo of eons. Days there.
1: undoing. There's so many of them.
0: There are a lot of these effects that are just much, much better than midnight clock. So while this card may be flavorful, it's also just not good.
1: Do you want to talk about the next card?
0: Yes. This is shimmer dragon for blue, blue for a five, six dragon. It has flying as long as you control four or more artifacts shimmer dragon has hexproof, and you can tap two untapped artifacts you control to draw a card i mean that's very strong yeah and uh if we do get
1: more just things that just dump food out just like oh whoops i spilled my bucket of fried chicken mm-hmm. all over the battlefield <laughs> then this will
0: draw you a decent amount of cards this seems like it could be good in like less competitive Urza and Jorah 2.0 builds mm-hmm. that just want a way to get value, too.
1: I can imagine someone's like casual Brea deck, and they they tap the two Thopters and draw a card.
0: Yeah. And you're like, oh, cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I wonder if you have like a Thopter sword, you can tap the Thopter and the sword before you sack it, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Okay, all right. Yeah, and draw a card. That's pretty good.
0: That sounds good. But competitive decks aren't really going to be interested in the six mana dragon. I'll say that right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Even if he does have Hexproof. Mm-hmm. All right. Next is Bell of the Brawl. It is two and a black for a 3-2 human knight with menace. Whenever it attacks, other knights you control get plus one, plus O oh until end of turn. So there's two knight tribal decks and commander. Run it in those decks. Don't run it anywhere else. Yeah, I don't have anything
1: to add to this card. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Okay, we've got a lot to say about the next one.
1: Oh, yeah, there's actually a, a bunch. And it's not even necessarily just about the, the card. card. <laughs> so, so do you want me to read this off and you can get into it? Yeah, go ahead. So this is Chittering Witch. Uh, they are a 2-2 two, two human warlock, note, note, for three and a black. When Chittering Witch enters the battlefield, create a number of 1-1 one, one black rat creature tokens equal to the number of opponents you have. She has one black sack of creature. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. So on the surface, I love
0: this card. Just like as a card, mechanically, heck yeah. Like mm-hmm. this is rad. I'm super into that. Many games of Commander are four players, so this will often be four bodies for four mana. That's a great ratio. Black has a ton of Sack Outlet commanders that are going to be happy to run this. You've got Torgar, Whisper, Bontu, Yoggmoth, others. Even um, you can run it in your Ankle list. Yeah. Maronar lists, because it makes a bunch of rats, that's going to be useful for getting you to that point where Maronar starts really mm-hmm. going off. <laughs> yeah,
1: really making the rats happen. Mm-hmm.
0: So I think it's a quality card, Mm -hmm. mechanically. Yep. Now let's talk about flavor. Okay. (laughs) That we know of, there are two new creature types introduced in Throne of Eldraine. There could be more later. We're going to talk a little bit more about Noble later, but Warlock is one that was introduced. And the very interesting thing about this card is that it is called a Witch. It is Chittering Witch, but it is, on its type line, a Warlock. And I think we can expect that this means that all Witches in Magic are going to be typed as warlocks Uh, they're going to probably get errata and that means that going forward all witches are going to be warlocks so i've got some issues with that so i've wanted witch to be a creature type for a very long time i am very disappointed about this because witch is a much more resonant term than warlock It, it it's sort of like the the problem with naga versus snake when we went to Amenket, they introduced this Naga creature type to mean, like, snake-like humanoids. Actually, it might have been Tarkir. It was Tarkir. But the problem is Naga only has meaning to you if you're, like, really deep into fantasy mythos.
1: Mm-hmm. Or, or if you come from somewhere where the mythology
0: that you're from includes Nagas. But the problem with that is, like, to average Joe, to Joe Schmo, to your grandmother, Naga doesn't mean anything. So you just have this term that sort of increases the barrier to entry and like makes the game harder to get into and a little more confusing. Whereas snake, everyone knows what a snake is. The lesson that they said they learned from that was like only use fantasy terms when it's a president. So like it makes sense that minotaurs would be minotaur creature type as opposed to like bull or something. But like rocks or leonin or loxodon those will appear in the names of cards, but they're still like rhino, cat, elephant, because Roxleon and, and Loxodon don't mean anything to the average person. They just don't carry their weight. They don't have a lot of resonance. Yeah, And so I think that if you ask an average person on the street what a witch is, they're going to be able to tell you 10 different things. Like, oh, Wicked, oh, Hansel and Gretel, oh, the Wizard of Oz. Like There's so many cultural touch points that you can't have grown up in this world or at least in like America and not have an idea of what a witch is not have several ideas of what a witch is and be a very specific picture in your head whereas a warlock the people who are most invested in fantasy culture who've played like warlocks in D&D or something yeah. are going to have an idea what that is but your grandma is not going to have a clear picture of what a warlock is Mm-hmm. Or at least not nearly as clear a picture as they would for a witch. And and also, if you look at the history in magic, like we've played off of the tropes space surrounding witches a lot. There's dozens of cards called witch. I mean, Kumbaj witches goes back to like the Arabian first year Nights. of magic. Yeah. yeah. So there's been many many cards that say witch in the name. And there's been exactly one card that says warlock in the name. So just going off of like the history of magic, clearly the people designing the cards, the creative team, thinks that witches are more resonant than warlocks. And yet we have warlock as a creature type and we don't have witches. So what's up with that?
1: They haven't released like their official statement, but someone asked Maro about it. I'm confused, so this means we can say for certain that Witch will never be a creature type? That makes me sad. Is there a reason for this? Why was Warlock chosen over Witch? And he said two reasons, it's just two bullet points. One, Warlock has become very popular in video games, so it's very familiar. Two, there are real-world religions that use Witch as a name for their members. And I kind of want to touch on that a little bit, because, like, I know a decent amount about, like, Wicca and, like, Breheria culture in general, and I feel like they didn't ask anyone... They just were afraid to talk about it. Because the thing is, like, all the points you mentioned, there's so much weight behind the word that I don't think a game using it as a game mechanic would really upset anyone. Like, anyone who practices Wicca, like, already knows that everyone in the world has, like, a concept of what a witch is. Having a game use witches too, that's not going to influence anyone's opinion Any more so than the rest of popular culture already had, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, did Wiccans protest the movie The Witch that came out a couple years ago? No, no. It was like a drop in the giant greater understanding of what witches
0: are. I I mean, I am not a Wiccan. I, I don't purport to speak for them. But also, if they were going to react negatively to every depiction of a witch in this way in popular culture, they would exhaust themselves. They would never have time for yeah the it, actual elements of their religion. So,
1: so I, I I'm eager to hear if they talk more on this topic, because I feel like both of these points that Maro gives are pretty bulk. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Warlock is very popular in video games. Is it really like I mean like wow or something? Okay, and then to like yes, there are real world people that use witch as names for their members, but like like it's not like anyone saw any of the witches from Magic in the past and were like, well, screw that game because like my family has been practicing Wicca for generation. Like you know what I mean?
0: Also, here's the thing: like your card is called Chittering Witch. It's still. A witch, Mm -hmm. and it's still like not a super positive depiction. It's an old woman covered in rats who uses them to kill other people. Does having the word not on the type line but in the the name line is that such a concession? Is that really going to Mm -hmm. not aggravate people who would otherwise get aggravated?
1: Exactly. Like the I think that's that's kind of the biggest point is that they're still using witch. Like they're still witching well, they're still chittering witch. There's a, they're going to use the witch trope a ton of times in this set, and they've used it in the past with like past creatures. If someone was upset, I couldn't be like, "Oh no, no, no!" But look, see, it's not in the type line.
0: Yeah, if I don't play magic, I'm not gonna. I'm going to be like, "This is not what my religion is. You can't use that word," and I'm not going to care where on the card the word appears. Yeah,
1: it doesn't. It doesn't matter. So it's it's a really weird place to take this.
0: Yeah. I uh, don't agree with this decision. Yeah. <laughs> I think that if you really want to respect Wicca as a religion, then you just won't have the word witch appear on any of your cards. And if you're going to mine that trope space, why not, why not do it in the way that makes players most happy? Because I'm in the camp with this person who asked Morrow the Question. Like, it would I would much prefer witch to be the, the type used rather than warlock.
1: Mm-hmm. But I think we should move on to another warlock. Okay. (laughs) This is Piper of the Swarm. Uh, They are a 1-3 human warlock for 1 and a black. They have rats you control have menace, 1 black tap, create a 1-1 black rat creature token, 2, 2 black tap, sacrifice 3 rats, gain control of target creature. So again this is another card that i really like like just on the surface
0: even though like the menace doesn't add that much to a marinar list because he already gives all your rats fear yeah just making rats helping you get to that critical mass to like really start going up that parabola is good and then of course like once you have like a huge number of rats having a way to use those to get value like maybe i'm going to take your commander now that's also great like it's good Mm -hmm. Wherever you are on that like exponential growth curve that Marinar offers, it's going to help you out. Embereth Shieldbreaker is one in a red for a two-one human knight, and it has adventure. So battle display a single red mana for a sorcery adventure destroy target artifact. I think that if you're running a knight deck, like I wouldn't run just like one in a red for a two-one, but if it also destroyed artifacts, which are prevalent in commander, I'd happily run this.
1: I think that's kind of the only place that I would want to run it because like one red is a good rate for blowing something up
0: and there's always going to be something to blow up. Yep. Um, Do you want to talk about this next guy? Embereth Skyblazer. Three and a red for a 4-3 human knight. As long as it's your turn, Embereth Skyblazer has flying. Whenever Embereth Skyblazer attacks, you may pay two and a red. If you do, creatures you control get plus X plus O until end of turn where X is the number of opponents you have. I think this guy is a little too inefficient for me to be excited to run him in most go wide decks yep four mana and then i wait a turn and then i attack and then i pay three mana that's not gonna fly
1: yeah no, well even though he does but <laughs> yeah, but uh you know i think it is just too inefficient because you're spending seven mana over two turns and then once they're dead like let's say it was your team was getting plus three plus zero. that's that's strong that's mm-hmm. like that's a reasonable buff and then now they're getting plus two. Plus, so like it just the fact that it's diminishing returns as the game goes on is kind of sad too
0: yeah but however i will say that like if you're running a tribal list your barrier to entry is going to be lower like you care so much about having that specific creature type that having like the right creature type kind of subsidizes a card that you wouldn't normally play Mm -hmm. and so if i were running a knight deck with a red color identity i would consider playing this card
1: so this is Gilded Goose. Gilded Goose is a 02 flyer, a bird for one green. When Gilded Goose enters the battlefield, create a food token. One green tap create a food token. Tap, sacrifice a food token, add one mana of any color. So in a lot of ways, I mean this this does a very good bird's impersonation for a turn, but unless you can feed your goose, what are you
0: what are you doing? Yeah, I'm not in love with this card. I can't really see where it fits into commander. If I had like animar, like a,
1: a competitive animar, something that was three mana that needed that. I just wanted it to come down turn two every time. Yeah. That's where I'd play this. Mm-hmm. Cause then it doesn't matter what it does after that. Like I've been running Tinderwall in four mana commanders mm-hmm. a lot more lately that it, that can do that. Cause like having your commander turn two is good Typically, yes. So that's kind of this is that's kind of where I see this. Like it would be a very like niche. I want this three mana commander now. Yeah,
0: if you're willing to run Lotus Petal, then maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like a lot of the decks that it could fit into, it just doesn't work because it has zero power. Yeah, like you can't run this in Edric because like oh it, it won't trigger him. It, yeah, or it won't you can't. Do or if you wanted to do like Direvi Birds, it won't trigger Direvi. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't really see where this is great. If you have a good idea for a deck that wants this card, let me know.
1: Yeah, no, I also would be curious, because right now, I haven't really figured out if or when or what I would use this for. Mm -hmm. The next one, though, do you want to read this guy off?
0: Sure. This is Keeper of Fables. It is 3 green green for a 4-5 cat. Whenever one or more non-human creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. The biggest thing I think the thing that both of us got is we
1: noticed the one or more hmm it's like oh, yeah, so
0: you're maxed out at one card per combat step, yeah it's it's like God, for five mana, yeah, I mean, we just got that oren frostfang that draws you a card for every creature that, yeah. Ends. <laughs> but yeah,
1: yeah, so I mean the the key thing here is that it's a cat. And so there's one cat boy who just will accept anyone into the uh, yeah the pride.
0: It will probably draw you a card every turn. If you got an
1: Arabo deck and you're running out of steam, kind of help.
0: Next we've got Lovestruck Beast. This is two in a green for a five-five Beast Noble. He can't attack unless you control a one-one creature, and then it has Adventure, and the Adventure spell is Heart's Desire, single green mana for a sorcery. Create a 1-1 one, one white human creature token. So this is a Beauty and the Beast, and I was thinking it could be a good fit for Goreclaw decks because it's a 5-5 five, five with two generic in its cost, so it gets her cost reduction, and then you'll just have a cheap beater.
1: Mm-hmm. And also a 1-1. One, one. Like yeah. If you just go, if you pay two green, basically, in a Goreclaw deck, then huh? you get six power for... Two masks, That's pretty good. It's pretty good. So they
0: added Warlock. They also added Noble. And I think that's interesting because previously, like, I thought that Wizards had kind of been, like, poking fun at Aristocrats by purposely not assigning jobs to cards like King Makar or Imposing Sovereign. I thought that they were, like, making the point that they are unemployed But like changing them from being unemployed to being nobles is, I don't know. I thought they were making a statement earlier and this kind of flies in the face of that.
1: This kind of proves that I think they weren't thinking of that. There is the possibility that they just weigh the value of having a creature type to unite royalty more than the statement they are making before, but I would assume it's that they weren't making that statement, and now it's apparent that that was the case.
0: I, I don't know. I kind of liked the use of negative space before. Like, you sort of get used to the patterns of race and class when looking at magic creature types, and when they go against it, it feels like it means something. For example, with the splicers in New Phyrexia. they were artificers but had no race like they were making the point that phyrexia erases your race you just become your function Mm -hmm. they are like slimming you down to what they need you to be and like every time i see a creature that's just like creature human no job that means something to me too when i see like cloistered youth oh she's a child she doesn't have a job yet (laughs) or like seller of songbirds i guess they're like making some kind of point about pet shop owners i don't know I don't know if noble adds a lot. How do you feel about its addition?
1: I don't care nearly as much as I do about the witches thing here. It just looks to me like they wanted some way to connect this certain type of character. And tribal's a really easy way to do that. So I don't I don't know what they're looking to do with mm. it. Maybe there's going to be like a flavorful card where like it exiles all the nobles or something. You know what I mean? Okay. Like That's the kind People's of thing. People's revolution. Yeah. Something like that. So, but
0: I, I don't really see a point. To doing this maybe it's that like king makar or imposing sovereign or king suleiman were all just single entries in a set and so they like stood out but if you maybe there's just a lot of nobles in this set and if yeah. you see it in volume it starts looking, start looking stranger and stranger like
1: normal people or whatever or they, to, they're like no this is royalty
0: or just to have like that missing job on so many different cards loses its potency okay. if it happens in volume. I don't know. Alright, so Steel Bane Hydra is X green green for a zero, 0 Turtle Hydra. It enters the battlefield with X plus 1 counters on it and you can pay 2 and a green to remove a counter and destroy target artifact or enchantment. Because Bane of Progress exists and a million tutors exist to find it, this card isn't that appealing. It's just not nearly as efficient. Yeah. But uh, that Hydra type makes it so that you can play it in your Gargo stack p- pay like just green green get four counters and that's four bites at the apple for killing your opponent's stuff
1: and my guess is i'm gonna see this in really casual like gave lists to or like pure and toothy like very more casual lists that don't really care about the three mana to remove something but mm-hmm. like can use the plus one plus one counter somehow there's another very good green creature though uh, this is thorn mammoth this is a 6/6 elephant with trample for 5 green green so CMC 7. Whenever Thorn Mammoth or another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Thorn Mammoth fights up to one target creature you don't control. This is great. This is
0: very good. This is good. wonderful. The the problem with Gruul Rage Beast is that it feels really bad when you have like Mana Dorks in your hands like oh, this is not going to win this fight. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that like thorn mammoth is a 6-6 fighting every single time something else enters and also like you can choose to have it not fight stuff it's up to one target so you don't have to kill your thorn mammoth if you don't want to this just seems great for mono green this is an awesome tool for controlling your opponent's creatures how do you feel about this compared to apex altasaur
1: i would consider them in different camps like i still very much think of apex altasaur as like a plague wind Mm -hmm. where i think of thorn mammoth as like like a scalpel or like a like a laser pointer Mm -hmm. it's like i play thorn mammoth i kill your guy and then i'm gonna keep doing my stuff and kind of take out your things as i need to and it's seven which is actually like a human level of mana to Mm -hmm. get to Mm -hmm. at like a reasonable amount of turns the thing that prevents me from kind of comparing them too much is that just Apex Altasaur is whatever it was nine. Yeah. That's a chore. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think this is better because it's significantly cheaper. More decks can run this guy. Yeah. Arcanist's Owl. Hybrid blue-white, hybrid blue-white, hybrid blue-white, hybrid hybrid Mm blue-white, four mana for a 3-3 artifact creature bird with flying. When it enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact or enchantment card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order.
1: I mean, it's a 3-3 flyer, uh, but it's also the most restrictive mana cost I think we've gotten on something like this. Yeah. I don't care.
0: Bird decks don't run enough artifacts and enchantments to make this reliably hit if there was ever a commander in this colors that rewarded you for playing artifact creatures i consider running it but even in the pre-con that it comes in the alila deck mm-hmm. i don't like it
1: no i think this is thinking about it literally right now because we got the paladin that's boros that's mm-hmm. boros hybrid four times yep i think it's it's the theros that's mm-hmm. why they're doing it yeah probably a plant.
0: that makes
1: sense but yeah i wouldn't play this in any deck currently mm-hmm the next card is Inspiring Veteran, a 2-2 human knight for red and white, so 2 CMC.
0: Other knights you control get plus one, plus one. Yeah, where would you play this card? Well, I can't play it in Ariel, so I guess I'm putting it in Sir Gwen. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> knight's Charge is an enchantment for one white-black. Whenever
1: a knight you control attacks, each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. Eight mana, so six white-black. Sacrifice Knight's Charge. Return all Night creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield.
0: I like this effect more than a typical Anthem, because it scales to multiple opponents. Yeah, I agree with you. If it were like an Anthem, you're hitting one person for one more damage. Mm-hmm. But this is much better. I'd run it in Tribal Knights, but I would not expect to be able to fire off that activated ability pretty much. Ever none of the night decks are in green, so like ramping is not going to come easy to you.
1: Yeah, no, I mean this is gonna be like it's been a long game and this is still sitting there and then you like hit your eighth land drop and go, yeah mm-hmm. and then you go for it because especially like black and white, there's just not a lot of ramp.
0: As an anthem I think this is way cooler. Yep. do you want to read the next K? Sure, this is golden Egg. So two cost artifact, it's food. Whoa. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. You can pay one mana, tap it, sacrifice it to add one mana of any color. You can pay two, tap, and sacrifice it to gain three life.
1: I love eggs, and this is not only a literal egg, but is a new
0: egg. They probably felt... Very clever as they were naming this card, but <laughs> there are decks that are interested in eggs. Gerard 2.0, uh, Teshar, some Brea builds are pretty interested in having artifacts that draw cards and sacrifice themselves, and it's going to slot right into those builds.
1: Perhaps even Alila, Artful Provocateur.
0: Mm-hmm. Ooh. So Heraldic Banner is three mana artifact. As it enters the battlefield, choose a color. Creatures you control of the chosen color get plus one plus O, oh, and it can tap for one mana of the chosen color. So, I generally don't like anthem effects that only buff for a single point of power, especially when they cost three mana and I also don't like mana rocks that cost three and only produce single mana yeah <laughs> but when you combine the two this actually is not terrible
1: mm-hmm. yeah I like that it doesn't enter tapped mm-hmm. I like that it kind of gives you a little bit of the buff and it
0: also gives you a little bit of the mana back like we've complained recently about the um, immortal sun effect where you just add up a whole bunch of things that aren't that good on their own and then you end up with something six mana (laughs) and it's and like it looks good on the surface but it's just really not because your deck is probably only focusing on a couple things but with this card first off like the mana cost it's not six it's not way up there like the fact that it costs three and then taps for mana means that it effectively costs two and also, like, it's not that hard to find a deck that wants mana and also has lots of creatures. Yeah. <laughs> like, all decks want mana. So it's it's not like the Immortal Sun where you, you want to be shutting off Planeswalkers, and you want your spells to be cheaper, and you want your creatures to be stronger. Like, the more conditions you add for, like, your card to be good, the less places it's going to fit into the format. Whereas, like, here, these Venn diagrams are basically overlapping. Every deck wants mana, so if you have creatures, yeah, you're also going to want the other thing. Yeah,
1: it's going to fit. So we got one more card. This is Tome of Legends. It's a two-mana artifact. Tome of Legends enters the battlefield with a page counter on it. Whenever your commander enters the battlefield or attacks, put a page counter on Tome of Legends. One, tap, remove a page counter, draw a card. The thing that I initially thought of was like, oh, mono white. Some mono red lists are maybe gonna want this too i think red honestly has been getting a lot of goods lately so there's there's probably not necessarily like an auto include all the time but like red white red white all the colors that are just bad
0: at cards yeah you do definitely want to have a commander that wants to be attacking Mm -hmm. if you're have more a utility commander that doesn't ever get into the red zone it's not gonna be as good.
1: not gonna be as good but like uh pretty much like i mentioned audric 2.0 today like he attacks all the time yep cool and draw some cards refill your board that you've filled up with a bunch of cards from your hand.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah or even if your commander is just entering the battlefield a lot like if you've got yeah. a mangara list and your deck is all is built around like flicker like activate with that on the stack i flicker him like okay he's sure he's not attacking but he's entering the battlefield yeah it's getting you those page counters oh wait that's
1: really good in norin Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it, cool. Okay,
0: there we go. That's a mono red deck that wants there, to. There you go.
1: Okay, but I think at this point, uh, this is all the cards we have today. We're going to get more soon, as you might be able to guess. We had a really weird experience this time around where we could actually play with the cards. Yeah. Because really? they let the Brawl Precons onto Arena, mm-hmm. um, and you could play them in like, an event. You can just you could go on right now, uh, or at least at the time of recording, and play some brawl decks with new cards we've never seen before. How did you like it? Like how did you what do you think about this?
0: I loved everything about this. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. The only thing I wish, and this is more like a problem with arena in general rather than this specific thing, is like I really wish I could have been testing these decks with like Zach or my other yeah. friends <laughs> instead, instead, of of just, instead of randos. You know, because you're not going to learn much if like somebody sees your commander and then immediately scoops before you can even mulligan. Oh my god.
1: No, there's so many times where like I uh, had a mirror match where I was playing Korvold, the dragon, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy just turned five basically had like five lands, like, only five lands, like, cast, like, a sorcery or something, and played their commander and sacked a land, and I was, like, okay, turn, like, five, I have a a food, I'm gonna sack my food, and you can kind of guess that I won, because, like, (laughs) I didn't put myself, like, a turn, like, there's just these, like, little things where it's, like, okay, my friends wouldn't have messed up the yeah. same way that,
0: like, like, if I'm actually trying to get a, a sense of, like, testing these decks, it's nice to play against people. Yeah,
1: people who know what they're doing. And, and to be fair, like, the matchmaking for both me and Nick, like, neither of us have a lot of time to play Arena. So, I find that when I do play Arena... It kind of feels like pub stomping yeah, sometimes. It did because it's usually I start in bronze and end up silver by the time <laughs> I'm done. Because it's like okay, that was a good play sesh. Like glad mm-hmm. I could get that done. See you in a month arena. Like I'm just not gonna have time. So I do wish that we could have played them with friends. Hopefully they'll put the friendless in.
0: <sighs> yeah, but as commanders, uh, I was pretty happy with three of the four. Yeah, Tulane is very powerful.
1: Like you just. It's so good. That was that was how I knew someone didn't know how to play their deck. Was they turn two played the two two where your abilities cost one or two less, uh-huh. and then they blocked my two two that gets counters when tokens enter, mm-hmm. and they traded. And I'm like, that's like the best card in your deck. Yeah, you obviously.
0: Yeah, I know. There's like that spectral sailor that's like normally four mana draw card, but you can just pay two mana.
1: It's so crazy. To draw a card. It's oh, so good. Yeah.
0: And of course that deck has so much mana because you're ramping on lands every deck except for the the knights one the knights one is very bad sorry yeah um, it was not super good but the other decks like all felt that at some point that they could do something really broken yeah yeah every single one of them for the most part yeah like i was playing a game with Korvold mm-hmm. where i had like turned to Priest of Forgotten Gods turn three Krenko and then so like every turn after that I had enough fodder for my priest and it was just like okay sack a creature every single turn and I'm hitting you with an increasingly large Krenko So, so that felt super busted the Esper fairy commander yeah she's so good she's really good this is the
1: only deck that had like actual removal in it too mm-hmm. which like felt so bullcrap like the first game i played like this person like removed like three of my permanents and i was like what why don't i get to do that
0: <laughs> uh, okay i played a game so there's a smothering tithe in the esper deck mm-hmm. and i played like turn four smothering tithe and my opponent goes like okay i cast Chulane. Then i'm like how's this gonna go and people pay for smothering tide yeah. in brawl. It's crazy. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I
1: was blown away by that too. I've been watching playing with power lately, mm-hmm. which is like a CEDH YouTube channel, and they always pay for smothering tide. Uh-huh. And I understand why they are paying for the smothering tides because if like one of them gets even a slightly more mana advantage, then just like they're gonna take off. Mm-hmm. So like it's worth it these are standard cards. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do that is going to mess me up so badly that I can't
0: recover just because you had, like, two more mana? This is another game. I played Smothering Titan on turn four. Their turn four, they untap, pay for it, and then they play, like, a two-drop, like, a crappy knight. So it's like, oh, that's what you're doing on your turn four just to prevent me from getting one treasure?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Insane. It was really buck wild. Yeah, I did feel the big thing with the night deck was that like I feel like the most busted thing the night deck had was Colossus Hammer, but the fact that like nothing had like Trample, like mm-hmm. your commander had menace, so sometimes you'd get in there at that. But like, okay, I put it on a Death Toucher or a guy with Vigilance, and you would jump with a fairy. Well,
0: also like you. You basically can't get it on anything without your commander. And, like, Mm -hmm. that deck, I feel like it doesn't really have mana rocks other than the Arcane Signet.
1: I think that's true. I can't remember. I only played it, like, a few times, so I haven't actually played with every single card in it. But I just remember feeling, like, all the other decks, I did one game. And just at the gate, I was like, wow, like, this is doing some stuff. And that deck, I... Did not feel that
0: way. Yeah, I can't believe that like the commander that is least powerful on its face, just what it does is least powerful. Yeah. Costs the most.
1: Yeah. 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 Mm, whatever. But yeah, no, I think this is really cool. I think this is gonna be a trend moving forward. I think we're gonna get some like early access things on arena.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really sad that it's going to take them so long to produce the next series of brawl precons because yeah. I, I love this. Like, so they're fun. They're pretty balanced with the exception of the night deck. The commanders are good. As, as you heard earlier, we yeah. think you can build cool decks around them and, uh, they're good value. Like these are $20 decks and every single one has a shock land. And some also have like just some other good value cards and like that. and stuff. Smothering ties, smothering ties, nine or 10 bucks right there. Yeah.
1: That's great. That's super cool. So, yeah i'm happy with that i hope they keep producing brawl lists like Mm -hmm. brawl decks and and we've talked about it before so i'm not gonna be a broken record about it but we both very much like that brawl is kind of like this new on-ramp into commander and so if they actually do stuff like this like support it with decks support it on arena where most people are going to be playing especially new players Mm -hmm. are going to be playing magic like That's great. It just means I'm going to have that many more friends to play games with, which is cool. (laughs) But that's it for today.
0: Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Before we go, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Amon, Addison, Arthur, Mason, Will, Elvis, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Brock, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, and Andy. Thank you all for supporting the show. It's because of you that we're able to keep the lights on here in the studio. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, but you are not currently one, you can go to patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at commander theory on Twitter and Tumblr you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time.